Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcast about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tatyana Oharkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Vladimir. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So we are at 24th of March and there is precisely one month when Russians start, since Russians started its war against Ukraine. And we, we will try to analyze what happened in this one month, analyze the key lessons that we can draw from this, from this war, from this month, uh, and uh, let's proceed, uh, Tanya. So what is the key, the first lesson for you? Yeah, I think that the first lesson we've learned during these months is that, and we all were very much surprised by the fact that Ukrainian army is much stronger than we believed it to be several months ago. So uh, nobody could expect that the Ukrainian army, which is much smaller than the Russian one, could be able to to resist in such a strong manner. We do know now that the initial plan of the Russian army was to take uh, the country in a couple of days, and that's why they attacked uh, the capital. And their plan was to to take Kiev and maybe President Zelensky, something like that, in in three days. So what we know now is that Ukrainian army is in spite of all these rumors about corruption, about weaknesses, about uh, lack of experience. Uh, we do remember the, our experience in 2014. You remember, we didn't have army at that moment. But what we see now, that Ukrainians are very much effective. And even American um, Americans are saying now that when they deliver arms to Ukrainian army, like, for example, stingers or javelins, um, Ukrainians uh, use these arms very much effectively, so they, they are capable to resist. That's one thing. And the same thing is maybe about Russian army. Yeah, I would like to add uh, just that uh, we have the jokes right now, right, in Ukraine, that uh, it has been a month since Russians uh, planned to, to capture Kiev in three days. Yeah, and... Uh, they're capturing Kiev, capturing Kiev in three days and f- doing that for, for, for one month already. Uh, and indeed, the, one of the lessons is that Russian army is not that strong. And uh, the second strongest army in the world is actually what we are seeing is full of incompetent people, incompetent generals, co- colonels, leaders uh, who are basically sending people without even giving them tasks with very old equipment, with very old tanks. Um, and uh, many of them are just, you know, scared boys, uh, young scared boys. Of course, it's it's not everybody because Russian army, you know, is doing cruelties and atrocities. And uh, many, many of them are trained professionals in killing and destroying but we, what we see is that Russian army stalled, so it's it's not moving too fast. And the only major city they took in one month is Kherson, very close to Crimea. 
we are making even jokes saying that uh, this fear of Russian army, of uh, of Red Army's ancient Soviet army. Now we see what does this army looks like when it fights without Ukrainians and against Ukrainians. So this it's not so much effective. But at the same time, we also see the reasons why this army is not so powerful because uh, this is about the lack of communication uh, between. Um, between their leaders, we mean Putin, and what's going on uh, on the ground, because this is a kind of virtual army, you know, this it's, it's about the image of that. They attacked uh, Ukraine in many directions at the same time. It's in seven directions, using only 1,050, 150,000 people, uh, troops, uh, against 250,000 Ukrainian army, yeah, which was uh, um, mainly in this Donbass region. So this was stupid from the very beginning, in a way. So they were so sure of themselves that they make, made a lot of tactical and strategic mistakes. They were and now what we see, they are accumulating these mistakes every day. And in a way, we understand that uh, their project to uh, to occupy Ukraine, to to I don't know, to arrest Zelensky, this is not 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 real. Um, they can only destroy. We'll talk about that later. But they can only destroy several cities. They will. They can kill people, but they cannot control even the territories they already think that they conquered. For example, look at Kherson. They uh, entered with um, their tanks into Kherson, there are some military present in place. What people say in the south, uh, they call it uh, occupy, uh, day, day long occupation. So it means that their soldiers, they are present uh, somewhere in the center of these villages and small towns during the day, but at night they are not there, they are going somewhere, they are sleeping uh, elsewhere, and then in the morning they, go, they come back. They go back to Rostov and then yeah, they come back. Like <laughs> so it looks like they are not able to to occupy, we are already t talking about this phenomenon of occupy. What does it mean to occupy somebody? Yeah. It means that you are present and then you 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 uh, you exercise your power. And this is not exactly what Russians is, are doing in Kherson because people are coming to the streets even when they are shooted. In the last day, unfortunately, we've seen that they are they were already um, shooted by uh, wounded. There were already people wounded during this manifestation. But in a way, this is not an occupation. Yes, and uh, we see, for example, a huge Ukrainian flag uh, drawn back to the city council. So, well, they are saying that uh, the Russians are creating another Kherson Popular Republic, but so, uh, suddenly there is a huge Ukrainian flag, despite the fact that they announced already their power and there are news that they will um, enter rubles into the circulation, but still Ukrainians are just um, making the, the, their own life there. Maybe the last joke uh, as to this point of the strength of Ukrainian army and the weakness of Russian army is that at the moment when Russians contacted China, saying asking, as we presume, for military aid, we were making jokes like uh, the second second army in the world is contacting the third army in the world because they are unable to fight against territorial defense in Gostomil. So, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're talking about. The second lesson is that Russia... Uh, surprisingly, for many Ukrainians, 
is ready to destroy Ukraine. I mean, not only to occupy, to conquer, but to destroy physically. I mean, buildings, people, cities like Mariupol. So this is uh, what we uh, understand about Russia now, that they are not a real state. It's a kind of a um, terroristic organization, a, a huge terroristic organization. What they are doing in Mariupol. It's not about taking the city, because what they are trying to conquer now, they are ruins, ruins without, with dead bodies and some still we hope living people, but this is not about the city, this is about territory. And when we see, for example, this night, they were bombarding Kharkiv from the Black Sea, imagine. So it's a huge distance, what they are doing. They are trying to destroy the city. They, uh, their troops are quite long, far away now from Kharkiv. They are not able to enter the city, to conquer it, but they are destroying it. And what Zelensky, President Zelensky, told several days ago, talking to international journalists, he said that uh, we'd like to explain to Russia that uh, they can conquer our cities only by destroying it. So in, in a way, you know, this no, and what we have to know about Russia today, that this is this, the nature of this uh, attack. It's not military. It is terroristic attack. Exactly, because uh, what is terrorism is just when you destroy the space of safety, right? When uh, nobody can feel safe anywhere, when the attack can be anywhere unexpected. This is what happening with this missiles war. Because while the war in Donbass was an artillery war, also very tragic, uh, and losses on both sides, and uh, uh, it's it's important to remember it, of course. But now it's just unilateral missiles war from Russia against the Ukrainian cities, and um, during this war you can you can be anywhere. You can be in Kharkiv. You can be in Kiev. You can be a Russian citizen in Kiev. By the way, yesterday a Russian journalist was killed by a Russian missile. You can be in Lviv, you can be anywhere, you can be sleep at, uh, be sleeping at night and suddenly, without you hearing anything, any missiles approaching, it's just bump and probably you're dead or your apartment is dis destroyed or you're wounded. And this is what ha what happening indeed. So Russians uh, are really showing their destructive, uh, destructive instincts. And once I wrote an article called Sadoputinism, so... Uh, this sounds very probably strong for our international audience, but you should understand probably this psychology. The psychology of Russia, current Russia, is that they really cannot take Ukraine back. It's just impossible. Here you have 100%, 110%, whatever you can call, uh, of people against Russia. Well, so, angry with Russia. Angry about Russia. Primarily the Russian-speaking cities of Kharkiv, Mariupol, uh, Kherson, etc., they are just hating Russians, despite the fact that they are Russian-speaking, etc. And uh, Russians, I mean, they cannot influence it. They cannot have a cultural influence it on, on Ukrainians uh, anymore. And they are just destroying it. And it's a political influence. Uh, so it, it is not cultural, not, not, not political, but it's only uh, pure destruction. So what, do, what, to sum it up, so Russia is ready to destroy just to destroy it, because uh, we don't see the reason they will need it. I don't know, what what are they thinking about? How much money they will need to, to, to build here something? What 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 the point, in fact, for them they, to they, they are not thinking about it. And in Ukrainian history, we have lots of these examples. For example, when they're just destroying everything. One of the examples is one of the Cossack capitals, Baturin, when, for example, when Ukrainian hetman Ivan Mazepa tried to make a... 
make a rebellion against Russian Tsar Peter I. Uh, Baturin was absolutely destroyed, and uh, and the people were massacred. So I think this is this is the, the logic right now. They are saying that all Ukrainians are Nazi, uh, all Ukrainians who are anti-Russian are Nazi, therefore they should be annihilated uh, physically. So we come to the third point, and our third lesson is that it's not a Putin's war. Don't call it Putin's war. It's really a Russian war, and Russians are consolidated around Putin. We have. 71 to 75 percent according to different polls of russians aligning themselves with this war of course there are dissidents of course there are people who don't agree but they are in big big minority and we should just understand it's not only about the bad putin don't uh, be naive don't live in this illusion yeah that's right and uh, another lesson linked to this one is that propaganda is effective. And we could not imagine how uh, we live not in the 20th century where the, it was much more e- easier to, to control people with propaganda, but what we see that in a free world, because Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, they were banned in Russia, but they were banned just a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, and before they had all access to, to information. But at the same time, quite surprisingly, Uh, a minority in Russia is able to think critically and to understand that what their country and their government is really doing. So this is something surprising for us because we, we Ukrainians, we just don't understand how we can be silly enough to just to, to trust all these patriotic uh, narratives, all these um, narratives against a neighboring country, about fascists, about Banderivtsi, etc. Et so uh, the lesson is that propaganda is really effective in in the modern uh, 21st century. And, and just li- listen to those la- Russians who support this. We at Ukraine world have, you know, are receiving some of the comments from these Russians who are, might uh, might feel uh, might appear educated people, English speaking. And you, you just read them and you just yeah, I mean it, it's a total nightmare. So people are aware that Russians are bombing Ukrainian cities. People are aware that this is a missile war. But still, they're thinking that this is all right. It's it's what what they think. It's a revenge against the Donbass war. But again, the Donbass war, it's a tragic, very tragic thing. And with losses on both sides. Artillery war with with no precise weapons. But again, who started this war? Russia. Uh, Ukrainian army is, of course, uh, I mean... Was was defending itself, and but this artillery war, of course, caused many civilians uh, dead. And we should we should also talk yeah, about but, it. Yeah, but look. but but uh, what's going on right now? It's it's absolutely different level, because this is a missiles war with indiscreet shelling of and and destroying of cities, which is absolutely nothing to do with this local local uh, war where you know. There are, of course, some of the districts of, of cities damaged, but now we have all the cities like Mariupol, Volnovakha, Kharkiv increasingly, Chernihiv increasingly, just erased from the face of the earth. Yeah, just look at what Donetsk looks like, looks like today, or Lugansk. Uh, in, despite all this war for eight years already, there are still a city, there were surely some, some, some destructions, but you cannot compare Donetsk with any kind of city, like even Kharkiv, because uh, there were some bombing, some shelling in the suburbs, but you still have the city. And um, today we 
uh, today we uh, got to know that about 1,000 uh, buildings uh, are destroyed in Kharkiv only. So in, this is in huge. just one month. In just one month. Yeah, it's not. We are not speaking about eight years. But uh, but Russians, many Russians are supporting this, and because this narrative that all Ukrainians are Nazi, we we we, we see when you go <coughs> on the streets. I recently watched the video by Current Time that uh, was asking people. I think in Smolensk. Uh, and the, uh, I mean, the, the logic is very simple. The younger the person is, the more critical it, he or she is to, the, to this war. But the older generation, the key basis for Putin's regime, like 50 plus, they're just saying, what's your attitude to Ukrainian, Ukrainians, Ukrainian army? They're not just Nazis and fascists. And, and this is what Russian propaganda was telling them in throughout decades, not even since 2014, but earlier, earlier. They just was repeating that they're Nazis, they're fascists, they're Nazis, they're fascists. It's not only about disinformation, it's about hate speech and it's about dehumanization. We should, we should understand that the key objective of Russian propaganda was not even to lie, but dehumanize. They dehumanized Ukrainians, now they dehumanized also Europeans, Europeans will are all also supporting of fascists for them and Nazis. So we should be also aware of that. The next lesson is that Ukrainian nation is very consolidated right yeah, now. Yeah, and this is surprising because uh, it's not only about this core patriotic uh, part of the society, but all about almost everybody, about uh, 100% of Ukrainians. Uh, it doesn't matter if you speak Russian or Ukrainian or, or what are exactly your origins. You could be half, be half Russian or whatever, Jewish, Ukrainian, any other nationality. But when you start receiving missiles in your uh, in your city you 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 really start uh, understanding what's what's going on in fact so this is not be, uh, this, this is not uh, about uh, politics this is not about uh, culture or any kind of choice this is about this uh, uh, fundamental i would say difference between what i call civilization and this barbaric world of, of russian empire so um and that's why what we see now this is an extremely extreme strong support of the ukrainian army um some figures were published in the, during these days about the some um, about money collected by volunteers to support ukrainian army this is something huge it is a really huge amount of money uh, because people understand that they have uh, no choice but to 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 defend to defend their country and to or to defend those who defend your country you know this is very small choice now and we see now that this consolidation so is no future for politically uh, russian oriented parties for example they were banned by the way several days or weeks a week ago in the parliament but before even they were banned they were dismantled themselves so yeah. they, they, they they understood that they have no future yeah, that's also politically. Politically, this is uh, it's not it will not be working, and we can uh, imagine that in in some time when the war will be over, it will be over. We are sure of that. There will be no future for any kind of project which is aimed, which is uh, Russian-centered or uh, in any way positive about Russia, because Ukrainians will never forget this war. I mean, our generation and generation of our kids, and this uh, is already in history. And uh, that's why uh, this consolidation is unprecedented. So 
in 2014, we also uh, noted that uh, this kind of rebirth of a nation, you know, because uh, the state was attacked, Crimea was annexed, and a part of Donbass was occupied. It was already creating some new life yeah, for Ukrainian nation. But what we see today, it is really unprecedented. And when we are, when the war is over, uh, so uh, I think we'll live in a totally, totally different um, uh, context without any any sympathy, any positive narrative uh, about, Russia, about Russia. Yes, <clears throat> this is what is happening. Uh, the fifth lesson is that the West is doing much, but not enough. This is our impression. And uh, we, we should understand that the Ukrainian army is very strong, resisting, but the key danger ca is coming from the skies. The key danger is coming from missiles. And uh, the West is still afraid of, you know, giving Ukraine more an, uh, air defense, more anti-missile defense to protect its sky. So it's, it's, a, it's afraid of Russian blackmail, nuclear b blackmail. But even if, if it is afraid, and even if we consider that these fears are justified, although I don't consider that downing Russian missiles is... Uh, Will 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 change any difference in 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 the way how Russians are approaching the West, so it will not lead to you know human lives etc. Just you know downing Russian missiles who are coming to Ukrainian cities, but uh, Ukraine uh, is able to do it itself with uh, more uh, sophisticated uh, um, anti anti air air defense missile uh, air defense systems. But what is also very important is the economic front, because we see that uh, sanctions are very strong, but not that strong. Mm -hmm. uh, some banks were switched off from SWIFT, but not all the banks. So, uh, the Russian central bank is under sanction. This, is very, this was a very good idea, but it still is able to function. Uh, to function. Uh, it's still able to, you know, to make other banks as slaves, its slaves, and just operate through them. We see the loopholes in sanctions. Of course, energy and gas, uh, Russian energy and gas exports are working. Uh, according to some estimates, they're bringing $1 billion per day to Russian economy, to Russian budget. And uh, we see those uh, very weak, very scary remarks by, uh, for example, German Chancellor Mr. Scholz that Germany is not going to refuse from Russian gas and you know too quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. Just because they need to substitute all that. But yes, I I would agree that this response from the West is is strong, but it's not enough. And even in terms of arms, we do need uh, much more. In fact, because uh, Ukrainian army has already shown that we were able to to resist to this Russian attack, but what we need now is to counter-attack. And to do that, we need different sorts of arms. And uh, today, Ms. Um, President Zelensky addressed NATO just several hours ago, and he was saying that, look, if only you were able to give us or to sell us 1% of your arms, 1% of your tanks, or 1% of your jets, it would be enough for us, you know. You are strong, and you, it's, he's not asking much. He's not asking only for 1% of what NATO countries together they have. And it will be enough for us to counterattack Russia in an extremely uh, effective way. So uh, we do um, expect that the position of the West will be stronger in, in coming weeks. So uh, we do hope. And we understand that, in a way, 
the ultimatums coming from Putin, they were not um, aiming only at Ukraine. I, we understand that uh, NATO also is aware that uh, Putin is trying to 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 attack NATO d- directly in a way. So. Uh, uh, we are sure that NATO countries are, are aware of the danger and that w- that they will uh, help Ukraine much more in coming weeks than they do now. Yes, and uh, this war also shows that uh, Ukrainians' interpretation of the events uh, since 2008, uh, since the invasion of Georgia, were correct. Because we were saying that Russia will not stop on Georgia, not stop on Donbass, not stop on Ukraine. And um, maybe it's time to read these Ukrainian estimations and to understand that uh, we were correct by saying that uh, Russians don't, don't consider that they have any borders. So they will be stopped only at the moment when, when they will be stopped and when, when, they be, when they will be kicked off. The sixth lesson is that uh, maybe we've learned during this month is that the civilization, contrary to what we used to think before, is a very fragile thing. Look, one month ago, we were living lives which are in many aspects similar to to what our audience uh, live now. So we were normal people who were going to their jobs, who were raising their children, who were doing, having many projects, etc., etc. But uh, what we, we've learned in already in the first days of this war that the civilization is very fragile and everything is disappearing very quickly, starting from food, uh, from, um, uh, I don't know, from possibility to pay, to withdraw cash, and then to to move. You have, in in one, two days, you have problems to move because there are checkpoints and you are controlled, all that. And, and And we are are lucky enough to be in Kyiv and other people, uh, like in Mariupol, uh, they've learned quite quickly that a normal life just in the end of February could could turn into a nightmare in the beginning of, of March already without water, without food, without supplies, without electricity. And if you don't have electricity, you don't have connection. So, uh, and our journalists, for example, if you we are, we, are, we are receiving a lot of calls from foreign journalists at that moment. And um, I always forget to tell them that the Ukrainian colleagues now people we know, our friends, they are living in, in basements, they are living in the underground and they are working many hours a day and they are unable to move in the evening to their homes because this is not safe and some of them, they don't have home now. Yes, and so one of the uh, lessons is that uh, war can happen anywhere at any moment because it's a missiles war. If you're living in a peaceful city, in one second, for example, <coughs> your house can be destroyed. Normality can disappear in one day. The civilization is really very fragile. And uh, time has changed, <coughs> the perception of time, because time is not like a menu of options when you can pick up, oh, I will do something tomorrow, or maybe I will do it day after tomorrow. I can plan in a week or so. Tomorrow, the situation can be totally different. Tomorrow, you can be under occupation the day after tomorrow because of your decision right now tomorrow you can you can be dead remember for example during your trip to kiev i remember that we i was looking constantly on the military reports what was exactly going uh, in uh, just in the in in the region and what was the state of the road because sometimes it changed dramatically just in a couple of hours 
because they were reporting that Russian troops were moving and that's why we were very much worried about the about the possible trip to any place. So you can you must take that into consideration. For example, a colleague of mine who is close to Mariupol now, she tries to escape this area. She planned to move to, to get on the move today, but she was unable to do so because of the Ukrainian counterattack in Berdyansk. And this because of a lot of a lot of, it's a battlefield now, so the road is not functioning. So it can change during the night. So you had your projects, your, uh, I would say, fundamental projects to get out, and you, you are simply unable to do that because the battlefield situation is changing. And one of the examples is that individualism is an illusion. Because during the war you understand how much you are dependent on other people, how much you are dependent on the civilization, how much you are dependent on the supplies of food to the supermarkets, how much you are dependent on the power plants that supply electricity to you. And uh, many of things in which, for example, probably our audience is, is living in this digital economy, uh, all those you know soft skills etc they suddenly don't work they suddenly, if you don't have electricity yeah they, they suddenly have you know no value at all look at those you know people in Russia who were earning lots of money thanks to Instagram <laughs> they're now uh, poor and uh, jobless the, the seventh uh, lesson is that we always have to prepare in advance it seems that, uh, for example, when the Germany says that it will reduce the dependence on Russian oil and gas, we were saying this since 10 years. And uh, unfortunately, Europe uh, and Germany in particular didn't do much about it. So imagine if this dependency on Russian oil and gas uh, can be, could be reduced and the action has been, would, would have been taken in 2014. What we would have now, for example, much harsher sanctions, much bigger a hit on, on Russian economy, etc. You have to calculate the risks, in fact, and it, it's also so on a, on a personal level, on a level of your ordinary life. I remember that one month before the war started, we were discussing, do you remember that, uh, emergency kits and all, all kind of things you have to pack, and there were even trainings about that. We were skeptical, but we are still following, we're just reading, I, I remember a huge number of articles in many media talking about what kind of medicine should you put in, into, into, your, into your bag and what kind of actions should you take in that, that situation. Um, you're never ready for the war, but it's better to be prepared. And, and I, and this, I remember also this morning of the 24th February, and when we we heard these these bombs falling on our city, I remember that we we didn't have any baggage, you know, and we had to do that. That means that we were stupid, and. Uh... And uh, Ukrainian citizens were not really prepared, many of them. Ukrainian government was also not really prepared. Let's be serious. So the heroism comes next, and this is very good. So Ukrainians have been better prepared than probably we expected, but not ideally prepared. The next uh, lesson is that inhumanity is possible in 21st century. Sometimes we hear, oh, how can it be possible in 21st century? Well, oh, we would tell you that this is possible in 21st century. This will be possible in 22nd century, 25th century, 30th century, whatever century you like. Uh, our lesson is that uh, inhumanity doesn't have history. That means that moral progress, there is no moral progress. Technological progress doesn't lead to moral progress. 
we see the sagesse of Mr. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, mm -hmm. a, f a Swiss philosopher, Geneva philosopher, who told us this in 18th century. And when you have pre-civilization around you, you don't really believe it, but Mr. Jean-Jacques Rousseau knew that very well. Technological process, uh, progress doesn't lead to moral progress. Uh, the inhumane, immoral, cruel things can can happen using very high, highly sophisticated technological tools. And basically, this is what Russians is doing now and probably will be doing it even more. This is a distant war. They understand that they will basically have no success on the land operation. They're losing lots of people. So what, 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 what else they can do? They can just bomb Ukrainian cities with missiles. Mm -hmm. And, and unfortunately uh, enough, they have they still have a lot of missiles. But the solution for us would be the, to close the sky by ourselves using all these air defense systems. But yes, I would absolutely agree with you that this inhumane behavior is possible today, as it was possible in Middle Ages. So when we see, for example, that Russian soldiers are bombing uh, hospitals or they are killing children, you know, in cars, when you do see this, it's just kids. It's not about progress. It's not about that they don't know. This is just about this uh, inhumane behavior which is could really exist now. We were skeptical about it. I do remember before the war we were talking that this is just impossible. They will not do that. We live in 21st century. Nobody would would have such a war, such a conventional, I don't know, war like, like the Second World War. It, it is outdated. It's not interesting. But now we, we understand that it was an illusion. So, and one of the lessons is, uh, for example, the demographical changes. So how Russians are using the usual tactics of deportation. But while in sometimes in 1944, when they deported Crimean Tatars in just a few days, uh, they were just used, you know, uh, these, uh, how to say, the, the trains, the cattle trains uh, to bring Crimean Tatars and, and bring them to Central Asia. Now they use missiles, so they just bomb the cities. And uh, of course, if you are living in the city, which can be hit by a missile at every second, and you don't know, it, it doesn't depend on the proximity of the enemy, because as you said today, they uh, brought missiles from the Black Sea to Kharkiv. Kharkiv is northeast of Ukraine, so the missiles should have crossed all Ukrainian territory to get to Kharkiv. Of course, people are scared and uh, many of them will, will leave. And we now see the at least 3 million people, right, of Ukrainian three refugees. 3 million and a half of people abroad, Ukrainians abroad, and about 12 million, 12 million on the move I inside the country. So people who went to the West, for example. Yeah, so this is what's happening. And uh, this is also deportation, right? This is also a war crime. And uh, this is what they tried on Syria. Now they're trying it in Europe. Uh, the ninth lesson is that Russia is a wounded empire with destructive and self-destructive impulses. What we mean by wounded empire, the same story as happened with Italy or Germany or Spain in the 20th century, when you understand that you have a big empire in the past, like Spain had, had this you know, big legend of the empire of the 16th century when the sun never sets, right? Italians... Mussolini, Italy was having this legend of the Roman Empire. Hitler was saying that we should come back where we stopped uh, 600 years ago in this holy Roman Empire of German nation in, of the Middle Ages. And uh, this totalitarianism basically meant a, 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 an effort to come back 
to this you know glory of the past russians are doing the same so they are they're doing the same they understand that their glory is in the past and they have been losing the the, the territories which they consider as, as theirs and, yeah and and the important thing here to highlight is that russia uh, never had a kind of project for future they are all always referring to their past saying that well in in the past we were a big empire but this was in the past it was in the future so and when you look uh, attentively to the russian projects it's never it's, it contains nothing real about the future there's a problem at that's the point and that the uh, direct sign of the fact that they will lose this war you the, cannot live without a project for future you cannot live only referring to your past exactly and uh Fortunately for us, Mr. Putin is a very old guy. We see the, his entourage also very old guys who don't really appear right now on, on, on in the media. So we don't know what happens to Mr. Shoigu, Mr. Gerasimov, uh, etc. But really, I mean, the law of history is that you can never come back to the past. You can invent. You should invent something else. Yeah. So when Germans, Italians, Spaniards, French you know, invented the European, well, of course, the Benelux countries, invented the European communities, they show that they're creative enough and they can invent something else. Instead of empires, they would create a commonwealth of nation states, if you, if you, if you like. And they were successful in it. Russia, unfortunately, is not thinking about something else. So it tr it's trying to repeat the past, the past of the World War II, but also the past of the Russian Empire. Putin is criticizing the Soviet Union, he's trying to come back to the Russian Empire. So he's trying to be even more archaic. Mm -hmm. And the last question, last lesson, maybe the most optimistic one, and we still will see how it goes, is that Ukraine, we are almost convinced that Ukraine will be a center of a new Europe after the war, certainly, because this lesson of heroism of, of your Ukrainian army, this lesson of mobilization of the Ukrainian society, this capacity of Ukrainian people to defend the values which are common with the Ukrainian, with European countries and Western countries in general, they show us that... Uh, we are almost sure to have enough support to build a completely new country here and will be center of this economic effort as well because um, just to rebuild the country we will need a lot of efforts and money and I am sure that we'll see a completely new city in place of Mariupol in, in a short time, let's hope so. And uh, there will be a lot of solidarity efforts in, in the coming months or years to show that uh, the civilization wins because it is uh, it has its own values and its style life which is uh, the best maybe style life possible yes and ukrainians are showing that european values are not only good and defendable but they are also defendable heroically and uh, that uh, you know i was i was very much surprised uh, listening to many American, Western European colleagues in the past decade and seeing how frustrated they are, how they don't, don't, don't see any future in these European even ideals, how they see basically that European values are now turning against themselves and what Europe was or democratic world was considering as you know big assets like freedom of speech or individual rights, they are basically turning against themselves, they, 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 they become self-destructive 
Why they become self-destructive? I think because they they didn't really have the enemy. Because there were no real danger. There, there, there was no real danger, no real challenge, and you understand these values only when they are in danger, only where, when they are challenged. This is what Ukrainians are going through, unfortunately. And uh, this is what I think gives uh, Ukrainians kind of a new perspective on, on Europe and uh, an ability to inject new energy uh, into this uh, into this continent. Yeah, so and in a way, Ukraine is already in this uh, in this history. So uh, and will always has the place in this history of the victory over Russia and over this real enemy to European civilization, European values, and European style of life. Yeah, so we'll finish on this optimistic note. This was uh, a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. This series of podcasts about the war and about Russian invasion is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two Ukrainian media NGOs. Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of uh, international outreach of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Myself, Volodymyr Yermolenko, chief editor of ukraineworld.org. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. And uh, stay with us, listen to our podcast, advice to uh, your friends and colleagues. You can listen to us on us uh, to us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. And stand with us and stand with Ukraine.